0: So one time I asked a a group of meditators, um, what did you first encounter in your mind when you sat down to meditate? And there was this kind of silence. And then um, someone said, thoughts. And does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. So our minds think a lot, like all day. And so it's not surprising that when we sit down to meditate that's what the mind keeps doing. (laughs) It has a lot of momentum to do that. Um, Why wouldn't it keep doing that? Now one issue that we have is that people think that meditation, sometimes they think that meditation is about ending thoughts and dwelling in some kind of blank, thoughtless state or something. Um, So I don't know. I I wouldn't... uh, Thoughts can end, but the mind thinks that's what it's supposed to do. It's doing its job when it does that. Um, But I hope also that just what you've seen today so far with wise effort is that we're trying to deliberately generate wholesome mind states, you know? Um, Some of these could involve some form of thought. Aren't there wholesome thoughts, like the thought of wishing well for somebody? yeah so thought is not automatically bad, but, as we also know from experience, um, not all thoughts are helpful, right? <laughs> not all th- that's an understatement, huh? So um, some are irritating, repeating loops that keep going on and on, and others are obviously harmful right in the moment. You know we have them, and we immediately feel pain for ourselves. so I'm just grouping all of those thoughts together. Uh, We can maybe collectively call them distracting thoughts, you know, thoughts that are taking us out of the present moment, taking us out of having a good relationship with our situation. And I would say that an important task of meditation is to overcome distracting thoughts. Those are um, not so helpful so that we get the mind into a healthier state. That will make the mind ready for tranquility and insight. So the Buddha knew about this too. Um, This is not a modern phenomenon, even though we, of course, have many more things that we think about all day, it seems like. Um, But even 2,600 years ago, there are two back-to-back teachings in one of the books about working with thoughts and the The Overcoming of Distracting Thoughts is even a reasonable uh, translation of the title of one of these suttas. And um, they're they're located early on in a book called the Majjhima Nikaya, which is the considered to be the book that was the manual, the meditation manual for new monks who had just started and had decided this was what they wanted to do with their life. And these teachings, of course, they didn't have the books until sometime after the Buddha, but um, when they were arranging them, they put these two suttas pretty close to the beginning of that book. So I I think that's significant. Um, So the Buddha knew this was of great importance, so I wanted to go over. The techniques that he advocates in these two suttas um, to, to understand them practically, first of all, but then also kind of how they integrate with some of the other factors on the path. In the readings that you're going to do, um, Bhante G also talks about five methods for working with thoughts. I'm going to go over five methods. Um, they're very similar to the ones I'm talking about here but for some reason he gives them in a different order and the order that I'm following today is the order that is in the Sutta. So just so you understand that when you read them. Um, So before I'd go over these five particular methods, I wanted to um, emphasize the importance for applying any of them to being able to see our thoughts. Right? If you don't know what thoughts you're having, uh, you won't be able to work with them, in a sense, and so this is... Um, we have to have a little bit of wisdom about how to work with thoughts. So wise view comes in right at the beginning. We have to understand that we are interested in having thoughts that are more skillful, and interested in having not as many thoughts that are unskillful. There can be, uh, especially in American society, which is so sort of non-spiritually focused, there can be the subtle belief that whatever goes on inside your own head is your own business and it doesn't really affect anybody and if nobody knows that you thought that who cares and I won't say that's untrue in a sense, you didn't act it out that's good but um... spiritual practice has a little higher standard than that and it starts to say actually it does matter what goes on in your own mind and um, At the very least, it should matter to you. (laughs) Um, uh, I know that if I spend all day, every day, with thoughts of anxiety, I will be a miserable person. Um, It's not a a very healthy mind state to dwell in, even if I'm able to live my family life and do my job and be a reasonable, law-abiding citizen. It's still not... It's not just being... It's not just kept to myself. So... um, we start to have an idea that our mind state matters and that is relevant and important for practicing wise effort because otherwise you'll say "Eh, it doesn't matter now on the other hand I don't want you to think that every thought that comes into your mind is of supreme significance for your you know ethical Mm -hmm. stance in the world it's not thoughts are uh, have a somewhat I won't say they're literally random but you don't know what thought is going to arise next and If you haven't seen that in meditation already, you will. (laughs) But really, we we don't know what's coming next. Um, The way karma operates, if you have that view, is that things can ripen at any time, and so some old memory from childhood, yeah, that could just come up while you're driving, or whatever. Who knows? Um, Or, you know, you could just have some random, really strange thought, (laughs) and it doesn't say something about you as a person. It's just one more thing coming into the mind. So just to be aware of that, but still, this step does ask us to pay attention to the ethical valence of our thoughts, if you will, and to um, work with them in some way. So let's see. Um, Before the Buddha was enlightened, he got the idea to classify his thoughts into two different types, Um, those that were pertaining to sensual desire, ill will, and cruelty and those that were pertaining to renunciation, goodwill and compassion. Anybody recognize those two sets? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are from Wise Intention, right? They're the three unskillful intentions, um, well they're the three skillful intentions, renunciation, goodwill and compassion, and they're opposites of uh, sensual desire, ill will and cruelty. So we see that um, effort, the effort to change our thoughts has a lot to do also with these, uh, with the step of wise intention. So we've related it to wise view of karma, wise intention, and then this sense that we need to be able to notice what thought we're having is wise mindfulness. So I know we haven't technically done that step yet, but you can't get this far without mindfulness. So they're all related. Effort is um, really interlinked in quite clear ways with the other things that we've been working with So we have these distracting thoughts that I defined earlier. Often they're related to desires of various kinds, things that we want to get, things that we want to be, and they're opposites, things that we don't want, things that we would like to get rid of, things that we don't want to be, ways that we don't want to be seen. If you, cl- if you check your thoughts, this is a vast majority of them are about me and getting the right things and getting rid of the wrong things (laughs) so that it's all set up nicely. There's those and then there's also um, various kinds of doubt that also come into our thoughts and this isn't necessarily just the classic hindrance of doubt. Um, It's also thoughts like thoughts of doubt like, who am I? What was I in the past? Is this helping? Am I doing this right? <laughs> you know, various kinds. Some kinds of doubt um, are, I don't want to say any thought like of uncertainty is, is automatically an unskillful form of doubt. The Zen people define the great doubt, you know, which is the, the doubt that, you know, our understanding of the world is correct. That is considered a very, very skillful doubt <laughs> to have. But doubts about, you know, is this practice really worth it, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Those are the other kinds of thoughts that occupy us. So I want to go over these five techniques that the Buddha recommends for working with these kinds of thoughts, thoughts that just go on and on, the repeated, irritating, um, obsession kinds of thoughts. So they're given in the order that you should try them. That's why I stuck with the order in the sutta at least as, as recommended by the sutta. And we, t- we do need to try each one fully. You know, sometimes people will memorize the list and then they'll try the first one with the first distracting thought they get. And then another distracting thought comes and they say, all right, I'm on to the second one now. Um, it's not quite like that. You'll you'll see as you go along. Um, okay, so the first such technique is called, it's just called replace. So you replace unskillful or obsessive or distracting thoughts with something better. Often we replace them, and you do this all the time, often we replace them with the meditation object, right? You're sitting, you're trying to be on the breath, you, th- you find yourself thinking about your lunch date tomorrow, and you go back to the breath. So that's technique number one, replace. Replace a thought that's not useful or that's not what you're doing with one that's um, more on task, more what you were intending. Um, There are many other ways to do this too, you know, a thought of ill will, sometimes you might replace it with a thought of metta, if you notice that you don't want to be having those thoughts. We don't want to get too much into the engineering of the mind on this, um, but it's meant to be a simple thing, a simple return to something in the present moment. I'm, I'm wanting to note that because of the comment earlier about doing too many practices of <laughs> stuffing a lot of wholesome states into the mind. Um, really, all you're doing is is just, you know, this isn't a helpful thing. Put it down. Pick up something that is better. Because the mind wants to have something, so we'll give it something better. The child picks up the knife. You give them the toy. <laughs> something like that. Um, okay. Okay. So, we will, by the way, this technique produces what Kevin already talked about, which is that you learn that the wholesome ones feel a lot better. That's the outcome of doing this enough times. As you keep replacing, you get the immediate feedback. Oh, that one wasn't so comfortable, and this one is more comfortable. You don't always have to replace with something that's, you know, obviously skillful, wholesome, beneficial, wonderful, beautiful. Like I said, you can replace with the meditation object, you know, the breath, it's very neutral. It just, you just want the mind not to be spinning off. and So you put it back on something more easeful. So that's good, but sometimes that's not enough, as we know. Um, and the mind may have other ideas and keep going and going and going. And so uh, the second one, interestingly, is to use uh, thought. So we can, we have clearly some attachment to this. Even though we don't think we're attached, we don't really want to be thinking about this same thing again and again and again, but still we are. So at some level, maybe below what we're totally conscious of, we're attached to that. And we want to keep thinking about this. That's why it keeps happening. Um, so we can reflect on the disadvantages of being caught in obsession. It's OK to think in this way. If you're thinking anyway, you might as well use some of your thought energy to think about the fact that this is an unskillful thought. <laughs> it's okay. You know, you'll actually suck some of your thought energy off by putting it in this better way of thinking. So we can, it, it weakens the attachment. It's about wise understanding, wisely understanding the disadvantages of these kinds of thoughts. So just to give some concrete examples, let's say that you're having kind of a greedy, greed-based thought about you want... Um, you really want to make pizza when you go home. Like, that's the thing. You've just bought the cheese yesterday and you you know there's a frozen crust in the freezer and it's just waiting. I don't know, I'm making this up, but you keep going back to this pizza thought, and so you realize, okay, this is about greed. Um, You can, um, if you want, reflect. Now, there's the, it's fine to go home and make pizza. It's not a problem. <laughs> you don't have to think that that's like a bad thing to do. But um, you, you might think that having that thought 50 times is not that skillful. <laughs> and so um, you can reflect on the fact that this is a greed-based thought and that um, greed does a lot of damage in the world. I've used this one. I have a kind of an analytical mind. So it's like, well, my mind is in a greedy state. Greed for pizza, not that harmful. But the total amount of greed in the world is pretty harmful. And it, some of it's being used in really horrible ways and causing a lot of suffering and pain to people. And I don't want to add one more ounce of that to the universe. I've reflected in that way. It can be helpful. It works also with aversion. Um, you don't want to be contributing to that. Another way this reflection can work is a sense of personal self respect. Is this thought up to your standard, really? <laughs> really. I mean, there are some thoughts that come into the mind. It's not that I think I need to only think beautiful, amazing thoughts. I certainly don't. Um, I don't think that, and I don't think them <laughs> all the time. But I do, there are certain thoughts that come into the mind, and I just think, nope. <laughs> That one is really just an old habit, and it's it's not where I think my mind ought to be at this moment. Um, and so we can have some sense. It's okay, it's not prideful to have a sense of value about your inner life and what you're willing to think and what you're not willing to think. And if something comes in that keeps being really just not a healthy thought for no apparent reason, it's probably you know, it's just some old habit energy running itself out, you can say, I'm sorry, that is really not up to, um, you know, not up to my standards. I'm sorry. (laughs) Ton Jeff uses this one. And so you can just let go of it. This is not, if it keeps going, it doesn't matter. It's not about you. But it's, you know, you can reflect on the disadvantage of letting the mind be in a state like that. Or we can think about how if we were to let this mind state keep growing, you know, okay, this is just a little bit of ill will that I'm feeling. And it feels so delicious to have that little bit of ill will because that person is really very irritating, aren't they? It's okay to think about that just a little bit. But then you think, well, what if I were to let this grow? Like what if that seed were to land on a really fertile plot of soil in my heart? And just by going home and making pizza and not really thinking about it very much, it might in the background grow a lot um... that would be a problem you know there would be a big disadvantage if i were to let this get too big so you might as well pluck it out while it's a weed instead of a big plant that can be helpful if all of that is too analytical um, you can also just notice that in the very moment of having these kinds of obsessional thoughts um, it's hard on the body you know you feel tension in your shoulders or your belly I feel some sometimes a little knot in my the middle of my brain if my mind is going on the same thing again and again and if I can finally let it go and say look I'm just going to think about that later it's like oh that feels so much better and so there's actually you know a literal feeling of wow this you know, there's kind of a release from that so reflecting on the disadvantages of these kinds of thoughts is the second form of working with them, of allowing them to let go, or any other reflection that works. It doesn't have to be one of the ones that I talked about. The point is not to think a lot, of course, but to weaken the unwholesome thoughts by putting your, th- your thinking more into skillful reflection. But uh, it can be that the mind is not impressed with your logical arguments, or such things and so interestingly the third technique is is to ignore and the the phrase that the sutta says literally is forget those thoughts and don't give attention to them and usually when you first hear when you hear this abstractly like in a talk like this the response is usually yeah right because you know um, the point is that these were obsessive thoughts how could i just ignore, ignore them but remember that this is a sequence, and so we've already done the first two very completely. Uh, it's not like we tried the first one, it didn't work, we tried the second one, it didn't work, okay, now we're on ignore, and we've only been one minute into this thought. Um, you've, you've supposedly done quite a lot of work in the other areas, and so it actually does become feasible, because the mind, it's tiring. It's so exhausting to think all these obsessive thoughts and then to reflect on why it's not that helpful and how there shouldn't be more greed in the world or more anger in the world. And after a while, the mind gets tired. (laughs) And then um, it can become willing to say, you're right, this is not worth it. This argument is no longer worth it. You know, the argument was interesting for a while, and then at some point you're like, not interesting. And so... You can actually kind of sometimes just the mind will be willing to just go back to the breath or whatever. It's like, okay, not going to go with that argument. Um, So that may be possible. I think... I'm going to slide right into the fourth, because I I feel like, in my experience, I've worked with these myself, I feel like the fourth of these is kind of an extension of the third in a different way. So the fourth one is stilling the thought formation, which means bringing the mind to calmness. And this starts to sound really abstract when you just hear about it, but if you've tried to replace the thought, you've reflected on its disadvantages, you've kind of relaxed back and tried to and just you know decided to ignore it it's very natural at that point to feel that there's some ease in the stepping back you know even even stepping back just a tiny bit and then you start to feel the energy of thinking so much and you can still the body and the mind at the level of energy not at the level of content the problem, the reason we get so wrapped up is we get stuck with the content of the thought. It's like we are tr- it's really about that person and it's about that pizza <coughs> and it's about that social issue and whatever it is that we're stuck on. And it's all very, very much in the content. And then as we're doing these things, what I find is that the content starts to relax and we're relating more to... This is a mind that has an obsessive thinking thing going on right now. And it's not so much about that specific thing or that specific person. And so when we get to the fourth one, which is actually quite subtle, we can then just allow the mind to still itself. It would rather be still than thinking. And so you're not even on the content of the thought anymore. It's very helpful. It's no longer dealing specifically with the unwholesomeness of the thought but simply with the agitating energy of it. We may not do um, steps one through four in that exact sequence. I know that it's recommended to do it that way and that gives you some direction to go in and that's how I described it. But it's also true that if you've done a lot of work on your mind and a lot of work with thinking, because Maybe that's your thing, and so after you've worked with it for a while, you get, you know, some idea of how your mind thinks, and it is possible to um, start more at the energetic level if that seems useful. You know, you sit down and you realize immediately, oh, my mind is agitated because I've been on the computer for three hours before sitting down to meditation, and uh, so then it's like, okay, I'm I'm not even going to try to replace all these thoughts. I'm just going to immediately go to the level of energetic sensation, relaxing the buzzing in the brain. It feels like there's all those bees and you settle those down. So there can be ways of working with the mind that we learn just from our own personal experience and we don't necessarily start with number one. But if you need a technique, you you can do them in that order and I think it works. It's a logical sequence that does work. Of course, I did tell you there were five, so I have to tell you the fifth one, <laughs>
1: um,
0: which is w- hard to relate to. <laughs> and the, um, But we'll I don't want to make it into too big of a thing. It's actually there are ways to understand it, and I'll give you several. But the, the language is that you, um, you beat the mind down and crush mind with mind, is what the sutta says. And so you first read this, and you think, "Whoa!" Or of course, some people read that and they say, "Oh, that's what I do first every time." <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I don't recommend doing it first. But you know, there's other ways to think about it. Like it's kind of the "just say no" <laughs> um, response. Analio uh, calls it the emergency break. So I want to <laughs> kind of talk around like, why is this in the sutta? Why does the Buddha even put this in? Because it's not. Um, it's not so much in the spirit usually of how we work with our mind. Um, And so, we have to remember that this is um, in the context of understanding that our mind is precious and valuable and that we we really don't want it to be carrying these unwholesome mind states. So we're talking about something that's really, really obsessional if it didn't get through, if it didn't quite finish through the first four techniques. And so this is something that's really quite Almost dangerous for the mind to have, you know, that it has that much power in the mind, and so this is a way of saying that I, w- I'm willing to, um, to do almost anything that my mind doesn't have this particular thought or way of, of thinking in it, and so, however, the trick is to do it without aversion, because that would be right, adding one more wholesome mind state, unwholesome mind state. Sorry, so. Uh, I like the way Shiloh Catherine has talked about this. She, um, by the way, she's a very ad- deep practitioner, has practiced for decades. She says she's used this a few times. So that maybe tells you how often we would get to this point. I mean, really, you don't need you don't need those thoughts to completely go away, or else you have to go to the next escalation of step. Um, all we're doing is, if you're seeing a reduction in the um, obsessiveness of your thoughts, just stay with steps one through four, and it'll eventually settle out, you know, like the dust settling out of the water. But the emergency brake can be used, and this is um, what Shiloh says about it in the few times that she's done it in her 40 years of practice. With no aversion, I exert a strong resolution that this mind state is simply not going to win out. I say to it, you are not getting one more minute of my life. Mm. That makes sense to me. You are not getting one more minute of my life. Because I care so much about my mind and my heart that I'm not going to let you think this way. I'm just not going to let it happen. Just say no. So it's a respectful stance. Her first phrase was, with no aversion, I just say no, this is not going to happen anymore. It's kind of impressive. that we could do this. But it's, um, it's a total commitment that I will not allow anything unwholesome in my mind. Mm. So that is I think pretty strong actually. So it's helpful maybe to um, consider what's said in uh, one of the other suttas. Whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the mind. So it's true right if we were to think all day thoughts about pizza
1: <laughs> that would
0: be the inclination of our mind or if we were to think all day I mean to make it a little bit more concrete and I hope you don't do this but if you were to spend really as much time as possible like every time you remembered thinking um it's okay to steal. The world deserve. The world should give me more things. It's o- there's no ownership. I can have anything I want. Please don't think this way. But um, <laughs> if you really were to do that for a long period of time, don't you think it would be more likely that you would pick something up that wasn't yours and put it in your pocket? Yeah, <laughs> of course. You know how we are conditioning our minds is going to affect how we are and how we behave then. That's the point of this step, right, is that we've done the behavior steps and we want to step back and say, where's that coming from? Well, it's coming from somewhere that says, this is an okay thing to do. This is going to lead me to happiness. I know you don't literally think that being angry is going to lead you to happiness, but at some, po- some level of your mind does, and so we want to get back and find that and say, what is that? I want to look at that. Um, So whatever we frequently think and ponder upon, that becomes the inclination of the mind. So if you take that to heart, that's about wise effort. It's about conditioning the mind to be in a better mind state, so that it's more likely that we'll behave skillfully, or that we'll um, act with compassion, or that we'll see things in a way that's helpful for us, and that we'll advance uh, along the path and become um, more toward what we're aiming for. So The standard is kind of high um, in the suttas. It says that if one practices this way, then the practitioner will be called a a master of the courses of thought. She thinks whatever thought she wishes to think, and she does not think any thought that she does not wish to think. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe, <laughs> um, but it is it is pointing toward kind of like, why not, right, if you're conditioning your mind in certain ways, there would, um, you know, more and more will be, will move in that direction. I don't think we need to over-idealize too much, but it's, I think it's an interesting line. When I read that, I thought, yeah. Well, but then you think about, okay, what's the model being put forth here? We know that our, all those surface distracting thoughts, I think you'll agree with me in the image that those are like the waves on the surface of the ocean, right? They're they're just this, the flotsam and jetsam mm-hmm. of our lives kind of churning around. And that we know from various experiences we've had of being in nature or maybe in meditation or, you know, some um, special circumstances, that the mind can be deeply settled. It has these deeper layers to it that get in touch more with our heart, more with what's really of value to us, more with peace and love and eventually freedom. And so I think there's a sense, what we're invited to to think about here is that maybe we're not going to you know we're not going to be able to control the mind. If we are sitting up at that same level, we're in a rowboat on the surface of the ocean, trying to control the waves, mm-hmm. it's not that effective, and that you know what we're we' being asked to do is touch down, especially through these five techniques, touch down into deeper layers touch down into the fact that there are disadvantages to thinking that this way that we you know we want to calm the mind into a, a deeper state we want to uh... just not pay attention to these thoughts and jetsam on the surface we want to get in touch with our deepest value that says no nothing in my mind should be unwholesome i care so much about non-harming that i'm not even going to have that thought so i think we're being invited to um, a deeper presence and a deeper way of being through these, through working with thoughts. It's not just a matter of, oh, I need to get rid of all these so I can get concentrated. We're being invited to something I think more nuanced and subtle and deep than that in this in this practice. So I hope, I hope that's inspirational and of interest to you as you work with the effort practices this month. Um, can I costume, can yeah.
1: What's the role of insight in any of this? Like, because if you just say, I mean, because it's all about, sort of, no, on some level, right? Like, I'm not going to go there. But, like, I mean, is it, which completely kind of leaves aside, I mean, I can think of lots of answers to this, but I'm not sure what the right one is, um, the issue of, well, why am I thinking that to begin with? Like, why, why is this so important to some <coughs> part of me, right? Mm. Um, and I mean, I won't answer my own question. I, yeah. Oh, well, sort of this idea?
0: is. I'm glad you brought this up. Maybe I should. I should have put more context on this second part of the talk. Um, I already talked about all the first, all the four right efforts in the first part of the class, and so what I thought I would focus on in the second part is a particular area where many of us have to make effort, which is to work with distracting thoughts. And so I thought it would be helpful to focus in on that. And in the case of distracting thoughts, yes, we are. That's part of the. That's part of the second right effort. Abandon unwholesome mind states that are present. This is five techniques for doing that with the particular case of distracting thoughts. So you can see we're down into a subset of practice um, in in this whole (laughs) second talk that I gave. There's a huge number of techniques in that second wise effort. So remember that the four wise efforts also include cultivating wholesome mind states, resting in the ones that are present. There's many other dimensions to it. I probably should have given more context. So thank you for helping me do that. Um, But your question was, what is the role of insight? Is that still of. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because, um, I mean, whether. Oh, so you said, like, why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah. Not, you know, having wholesome thoughts or things that are sort of keeping you snagged on um, unwholesome thoughts. Yeah, okay. So. You know, you can say, okay, no, or whatever. Use any of those things to. But if it is re- recurrent, especially if it's recurrent more than just like one day or something, I mean, there's something...
0: There is something it, there. It's a right? pattern from our past. Right. Yeah. So for sure, there is some role for having insight into our particular favorite set of habitual patterns in the mind. Um, these insights can often relieve us of feeling that it's so personal, first of all, um, and also just having um, maybe being more on top of the game in terms of being able to understand when they're more likely to arise and uh, all of that. I think it will come, though. I find that that, um, we haven't talked about mindfulness yet, technically, but it's these kinds of insights uh, arise quite naturally. We don't need to think about them too much. They're not really the result of the surface-level waves. Um, insight, I mean, insight as a concept is actually something quite deep that emerges out of these practices. Mm-hmm. You've seen it in your own practice. Mm-hmm. And there are personal insights that are more about you know, my particular background, and then there are the impersonal, universal insights into uh, impermanent suffering and not-self that are the ones that really eventually undermine the unwholesome roots. But it's not mm-hmm. something that we have to do. And I guess it's just a matter of trust that they, they, they do come, but I think people can start to have insights almost right away, and so we get that little carrot also. And they do just get deeper and deeper. The, the fewer distracting thoughts we have, the more we're able to see. I mean, when you get that stuff out of the way, what you see is reality. You see how things work. And the mind is actually uh, extraordinarily tuned to understanding this because we have a deep desire not to suffer. Does anybody not? Does anybody want to suffer? No, we don't. Uh, and we do anyway because we, we have all these habits. I know, but and it's puzzling why they're there. But um, the mind, given half a chance, <laughs> will will see and say, "Ah, that's where I'm doing the clinging." And then, as soon as you see that, it will let go. You don't have to do it. And so, it's um, we're helping along a process, like in the way that we don't really make our wounds heal. Like if liter- I'm not talking about a literal cut. You you go out in the garden, you cut your hand, um, you clean it, you cover it. That's your job, <laughs> and then you know it heals. I don't know how, some miracle. Um, and the mind will do that too. The mind will do that too if we do these techniques. Mm-hmm. Does that help a little bit? Put it in context.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. You can ask something else if it. Comes up, but I want to go on to Shane. Yeah.
1: Um, I'd like to look at the original sutta that you were talking about. Can you spell the title of it?
0: Oh, gosh. Um,
1: it's <laughs> some M word. but... Uh,
0: oh, I can give you the numbers. So it's um, MN Majjhima Nikaya 19 and 20. We have it in the library. Majjhima Nikaya or Middle Length Discourses of the Buddha. got
1: it. Thank you so yeah.
0: Much. Numbers 19 and 20. One is called Two Kinds of Thoughts and one is called Overcoming Distracting Thoughts, I think. Something like that. Okay, so we have a chance then again for some small group discussion to follow up on this a little bit. So, um, once again, if you could get into groups of either three or four, I think we have one more person now. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: All right, so the, um, the first question is um, describe a time when you successfully used one of these first four techniques, and I'll say them again, on a specific distracting thought or repeating thought pattern that you had. <laughs> the emphasis is on the one that you used, not on the whole story about or the particular what the thought was. Um, but more on the use of this um, of one of these techniques. So they are replace that's the most common one. reflect on the disadvantages, ignore, which means just don't give attention to it and let it fade on its own, or stilling of the energy behind that thought. So is there a time when you successfully used one of these, either in meditation or they can be used in daily life, too? especially the replace or the reflection. So describe a time when you successfully did this in some way. Or if you can't think of one at all, no, no, try to think of one. Everyone's used it. Everyone's used it. So let each person um, share one thing. Don't try to list all of them. And um, yeah, and then I'll give you the second question. Well, I'm glad you had a lot to talk about in that <laughs> section. <laughs> That's very good. Um, and then this last one is just something that you can um, each contribute to as a group discussion. And the question is, what personal benefits have you seen from making some effort to change your thought patterns? You know what. Yeah, so what actual benefits come from that? Are you just doing it because, you know, your spiritual teacher told you to do that? Or is there, you know, some, you can feel some actual effect from it in your life or your relationships? All right, that sounded good. So, um, do you have any thoughts to share in the larger group about that? Popular techniques or uh, benefits you've seen?
1: I have a thought. Yeah. Or an effort um, <laughs> is is the, the smiling,
0: mm-hmm. whether it's
1: in meditation. You know, I incorporate that with my meditation today, and um, I, I've seen I've seen some fruits. I'm just
0: adding a simple smile. Yeah, nice. Yeah, you see those uh, often. The statues of the Buddha have this slight smile on them. Mm-hmm. It's not an accident. There's a sense that smiling does um, is somehow related to the deep peace that we can that we can find. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So in. I was wondering, instilling the mind, um, it is a thought, I
0: guess, to have a um, visualization or an imagination that you're looking at a place or an
1: image that really helps you to relax and be still. Because um, that's something that I do mm-hmm. when I just feel really kind of all over the place, I'll just, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's like the ocean waves coming in and out, or just as an example. So um, would that go into the stilling the mind relaxation, like using an image and just focusing on that? Mm
0: -hmm. (coughs) I think the initial switching is a replacement. Um, a is a replacement and then you know what happens mm-hmm. after that mm-hmm. might be that the um, that the mind calms down it's not so much that we need to know exactly which one number one through four is mm-hmm. um, but it's if that's skillful for you to switch to something some imagination I think that's helpful um, if it eliminates the unskillful thought or stops the obsession and then eventually I I would think that um, you would settle back into the mindfulness of, of the moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but if it works, great. Yes, Jess?
1: Ah, any of the, I guess, would the Brahmi horizontal being like, is it, can it have any of the
0: four? Or is it always your place? Because it's just like you're,
1: you know, feeding over a certain mind state or you're kind of setting intention on a,
0: Oh, you mean like if you're doing Brahma-Vihara practice? Yeah. Yeah, that would be cultivation and maintenance of wholesome states. So it's the, it's mm. no longer abandoning unskillful states. It's the sort of different second second part of the wise efforts. Mm. Yeah. Which end up not being separate, as as we're discovering. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I appreciate that you said um, if you know yourself or what your mind what works well for your own pattern of thinking that um, you can maybe like go to a specific of those four steps and like I know that reasoning really helps me um, sometimes over replacement mm-hmm. and so that's really great too because I think it's really linked to like, delusion um, it's a lot easier to convince myself to let go of something if I see like a clear Purpose to why I should let go, mm-hmm. whether that's something as simple as, oh, this is bad for me. <laughs> um, or if it's something maybe a little less obvious, like in the ways that this is bad for someone else. Mm-hmm. And so...
0: That can be helpful too. Yeah, yeah.
1: I find that like the reasoning stuff is really effective. Mm. Okay. Yep. Good. Yeah. I think I'm still chasing my tail into the idea of like, how much like this replacing and like removing things. Like, is that then? It like have a culture within myself of not allowing like negative. Because yeah. for me, like coming to this practice is trying to accept myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where so is the balance between me saying, okay, I'm going to replace this. I'm not going to think this. Like.
0: Yeah. So re- remember that in the second aspect, if you will, of wise efforts, um, there's nuance to it. It's mm-hmm. that we want to abandon unwholesome states without aversion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, it's if it's not helpful to think of it as, yeah, we don't want to necessarily think of it as some kind of a flaw or mm-hmm. a, because f- um, that's actually an identification with it. If we think that it's som- it says something bad about us. Um, um, that's actually a subtle way of grasping that trait, even though we, we think we're trying to push it away. This is why teachers always say, "Oh, yeah, an aversion always goes is goes in with clinging, and people think, "Why is aversion part of clinging? But it's because we've accepted that as saying something about us. We've identified with it. So um, I think that what's the approach here? So it's to look at that attitude, you know that attitude of aversion. Um, to move toward acceptance. And it's okay to, I mean, the initial acceptance is the acceptance of this is how my mind is right now. Mm-hmm. Then we can move on to the step of, okay, might I want it to have a different mix of the, the quote-unquote positive and negative. But the initial acceptance um, is to understand that the mind is how it is because whatever conditions are you know, are present in the moment are producing that. That's a, the that's a reason why it has what it has right now. And that it doesn't say anything about us personally, except these are the conditions here. And so then um, that initial stepping back may be more the place w- your place of work right now. So your effort would be the effort to open, say, to everything that's here without reacting to it. That's also part of effort. That makes sense.
1: I get it, but I'm still stuck on the fact that I still have this division in my mind between the thought that I want and the thought that I don't want, and I don't
0: want to be at that. Right. Point. Yeah. It is. It's true. I admit that this second talk that I gave um, mm-hmm. is based on those two suttas, and the first of them is the, where the Buddha divided his thoughts into the skillful and the unskillful. Yeah. However. Um, it might help to know that mindfulness is can be skillful, first of all. Remember, I said that at the beginning, is that if we're aware of a unskillful state being there. Okay, so you're wanting to not label states um, as, maybe we need to be careful about skillful and unskillful compared to good and bad,
1: because mm-hmm. they're not
0: the same, actually. Mm-hmm. Or even wholesome and unwholesome can sometimes sound like good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the the understanding, the reason why we say skillful is not just because we're trying to protect people's minds from not having to have the word bad or good. Um, it actually means what is something that furthers the path at this moment? And it's generally understood that if we are completely bought into a state of anger, greed, pride, depression, at that moment the mind is just, living in samsara. You know, it's just going to the next automatic thing. Um, So what we want is for the mind to be in a state where getting from this moment to the next moment advances our path in some way. And mindfulness is good enough for that. (laughs) You know, if we're mindful that the mind is freaking out, okay, great. In a sense that understanding that we can anything that we're aware of automatically becomes part of the path. Uh, kind of uh, eviscerates this idea of good and bad. There are entire branches of Buddhism that say nothing is bad in the mind. Um, mm-hmm. Theravada system doesn't say that and so I don't tend to teach that way here, especially in this Eightfold Path program. but uh, in a sense, you know the mind is what it is and um, all we want to do is avoid harm
1: sometimes the depression or the anger or the frustration might actually be having something beautiful
0: to teach us well it can teach us the pain of those states it can teach us compassion for sure um It can teach us, usually they're they're warning signs, like anger, you know, uh, anger is such a charged state to teach about because someone will always raise their hand and say, well, I think my anger is helpful. I think I've gotten a lot of good things done through my anger. I'm a social justice activist, something like that. Anger is always a signal, this is how I understand it, that something is out of balance. And it might be out of balance out there in the world. It might be out of balance inside. I don't know, but anger is a signal. It's a big red flag. You don't ignore it. You shouldn't ignore it. Some people are afraid of anger, and so they spend all their time saying, oh, anger's bad, and they're saying that because they actually are afraid of it and don't want to deal with it, don't want to open to it. So um, I think any unskillful state, uh, the first step is, yeah, we have to acknowledge it, accept it, open to it, see what it might have to teach us and understand that we don't want to act out of something that is rooted in greed, hatred, delusion. And for sure, anger is rooted in hatred. Our mind is not free of hatred if we have anger. But that's okay. <laughs> We're not expected to be fully enlightened at this moment. So it's, you're right, it might have something to teach us if we approach it in the right way. So this is another aspect of effort. It would be the effort to uh, to open to this and to um, bring the skillful state of understanding, of wise understanding to whatever's present. That's also part that of effort. Well, luckily, yeah, uh, well, you know the whole thing is a bootstrap <coughs> job. I'm sorry to say there's no mind outside of your mind. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this is what you've got to work with and um, you have to somehow lift yourself with your bootstraps and the amazing thing is it can happen <coughs> step by step. It can happen, yeah. but um I don't definitely don't want to encourage dualistic thinking of bad and good, so um, if this step seemed to kind of bring some of that up, uh, the effort is to open the mind more widely because we you know we've seen that um, karma is very complicated, it, it's not automatically that if my mind is in a difficult painful state that automatically means I'm headed straight for the hell realms <laughs> you know it's it's um, much more nuanced than that you know, I, I appreciate you bringing that up but you know at the same time we're um, yeah we're making the effort to develop a mind that's you know that's more more present, more able to see clearly, more able to always act out of compassion, love, equanimity, these kinds of things especially if we're a social activist or some such Mm -hmm. because um, the world needs more of that out in public. So I have just um, two notes at the end. We're winding up. It's slightly after four. The next session already, is Wise Mindfulness on April 14th, so you'll meet with your mentor sometime before that, probably. And then the final day long, I want to start advertising for that. There's a day long to finish up this program. It's such a sweet day long, and it's at IRC, which is where Staz lives, and it's also in Scotts Valley, uh, very close to us. And it's going to be on June 29th. Um, And you'll get a little announcement in the mail soon to register. You have to register for it so we know how many people need lunch. We're going to cook lunch. Uh, It's going to be a great day long because it combines everybody who's taking this course, which includes the people up in Redwood City where you're getting all those emails from and I think a few people in Modesto also. So it's kind of fun to meet the other people doing this course. So please sign up if you're free that day when the um, registration link comes to you. All right, have a great
1: month. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.